Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. This show is brought to you by Flatiron's Tuning, your source for any aftermarket or OEM Subaru parts. Be sure to check out our store at flatironstuning.com and stay tuned with Flatiron's Tuning. Okay. But I mean, the everything's crazy out here. Dumpsters are everywhere. Uh, rain gutters blown off stuff. That's got to be pretty, some insane. Like what? It, like 80 mile an hour gusts, 100 mile an hour gusts. Uh, it was it was definitely for me like the gustiest it's been in a long time. Nick Steneford and I, he texted me this morning. He's like, "You survived the hurricane over there?" Because that's what it felt like, just yeah. constant onslaught. Wow. That's what the National Weather Service used for terminology was hurricane force winds. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Maybe, oh wow. Maybe uh maybe deal with it, Florida. It's not so bad. We lost some gutters, but <laughs> yeah. Oh man. We didn't have to board anything up. Don't tell mm-hmm. them that. <laughs> well, we don't have the we don't have the rain. It's I'm it's all it's dry. Yeah. So I think today what I want to talk about is I just want to talk shit. So okay, I'm do that. I think nice, <laughs> nice. Well, all right. How about, how about this? Let's let's just dive into it. I'll launch it, and then then we will we will we will see what kind of shit you want to talk. Sure. Mm-hmm. I do right. actually have a question too. Uh, okay. Like uh, it's kind of relevant to me right now. We're redoing yeah. a lot of our rules. So well, hold on, hold bring it. Bring it up. I Bring think we should put all this in. This is great podcast material. Not in the YouTube. But, Not in the YouTube? Okay. But I would listen to this cold open, maybe. I don't know. It's, ah, all right. Well, maybe on Patreon. We'll figure it out. All right. Okay. Welcome to episode 101. 101. 101. We haven't That's talked why we have the dogs, person. Yeah. That's why we have the dogs. It's 101 Dalmatians over here. Aww. Oh, man. Here, I got there one go. over here, too. Hold on. Man, I don't have any of my pooches. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> yes. Well, well. Thanks for listening to the Flannery Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. We've got Tusso and Dussex here with us, guys. It's been a little. It's kind of been a little bit since we did the hundredth episode live, and a lot of stuff has happened for you guys. So let's let's kick off by just kind of what what's been going on. What are you guys up to, Dussex? Hey, you man. had the most ad- adventure since then. I feel like it never. The hits never quit. Um, I think the biggest thing was actually driving Button Willow. So I've been to mm-hmm. Button Willow with Global Time Attack before, but I actually took the uh, yellow car out there and okay. had fun out there. And we did like a bunch of stuff to the car to try and optimize. Cause I mean, you see the videos and everything that Nick Stennerford is telling me is the track was super bumpy. So we did a bunch of prep stuff, which we can talk about in a second, um, for the car, uh, installed the fuel cell in the car that, so I could actually get more range um and then like and then blew the engine in the car <laughs> well and just it was, to clarify yeah. too because this is a couple weeks ago this is for the super lap battle year-end event this finals, is finals yep finals yep, yeah global yep yep finals at, at button willow and, and the way that they have that event they run that event the weekend after um sema yep. and even before global time attack was doing it that was oh that's been like the the format so to get that draw from SEMA so you see yeah. there's definitely some SEMA cars there 100 um, percent yeah. which everyone talks about that they don't run and it wasn't just Savannah Little's car there was actually a bunch of SEMA, or it was definitely a handful of SEMA cars out there lots of sick builds like the Evasive S2000 I don't know if anyone keeps up with that but the Evasive S2000 being driven by Dai Oshihara was super badass mm-hmm. the reemergence of Sydney from Life Motorsports mm-hmm it it was out there. What a wait! Is a is the diesel? No, no. That's okay. that's a different like. I don't know what the name of that car is, but oh, it sorry, is a that's, different that's car. Frank. The green one. 
Yeah, Frank. Yeah, Frank the Tank. Yeah. yeah so Sid- Sydney was out there, and uh, spoiler alert, they uh, won overall. So um, professional awesome was out there, uh, yeah. which is you talk about dusting the cobwebs off. Yep. Uh, it's been ten years. Awesome. <laughs> ten years crazy. since they ran that car. And so uh, they brought dusted the cobwebs off and had Tom O'Gorman driving it. Flew him in, you know, international driving mm-hmm. celebrity superstar Tom O'Gorman from Ohio, representing the Midwest. Yep. Um, I say that because we used to autocross together like 20 years ago. It seems like. Oh wow. But, um, yeah, and so then uh, I mean, so a lot of really wild cars out there. So it was definitely surrounded. I was definitely surrounded by really good company. Thomas Smith. Everybody who's mm-hmm. friends of the podcast knows how much I love Thomas Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. he, he was a good time. So yeah, that trip was just wild. Um, it was so fun though. Like to me, Nick Stennerford and I were joking that we basically left a racetrack in Colorado and went to a racetrack in California to hang out. But that's like what it was like. It was so cool. And it was, I knew just enough people to be like, Oh, Hey, what's up dude? Or Hey, oh, what's mm-hmm. up with that? And, but it was more like I got to hang out with Nick one-on-one and and we had like our own little camp and stuff so it was a lot of fun super fun what did you think of the track that track is it's like non-stop it is Mm. like i hear i talk to people about like the ozarks and ozarks is a lot longer than the button willow so i'm not saying that they're similar in in that regard but the description that somebody used with ozarks to me was that there's you just don't ever get a break there's never like Mm. it's just constant turns turns constant elevation change blind turns like button willow for me felt like that more than any track i've driven this season at least where it just feels like it's constant and constant and i did like three flying laps there and i was like i've been out here for like 20 minutes are they ever gonna throw the checker like it Hmm. just feels like you're out there forever and just and that's it is just it's constant it's bumpy in some spots it's really it's got like a lot of blind uh, corners you kind of have to set up for, like kind of similar to the ridge in that regard. Um, mm-hmm. But it is, and it's fast, and you're trying to like drive straight lines through curves, and it's pretty wild. Like the the track was super wild. It wasn't too dusty, I didn't think. Um, but even like when I was trying to like set up my suspension, I was like, half the course wants me to leave it soft. Like if I go mm-hmm. up any higher in the compression, the other half of the course is going to suck. But hmm. the parts where it's not bumpy, like you could really use that um, compression, like that increase in like suspension stiffness to really maximize the grip, which is what I was able to do. But for the other half of the track, it feels like you're getting, the, getting kicked in the kidneys the whole time. It's, it's wow. wild. So I would say after driven, driving that track, I can see why it's such a popular like track for the Time Attack series because it shows – you have to have a really well put together car to really do well out there. It's not, there's not a lot of things to hit, which is good, but, um, but they did have a car roll out there the weekend before we were there. Yeah, I was going to say, I heard something about a roll, maybe not mm-hmm. this event, but very recently. Yeah. The weekend before, and you could tell where it happened because they had to basically go in and just like regrade all the dirt because the way that the car, the way it, wow. I guess it happened, there was like a rut that was developing and the car just overshot it and then caught the rut and it just launched the car. So wow. I don't know what event it was though. Um, but so it wasn't our event, fortunately, but you could tell where it was at. Cause it was all like groomed, nice, nice dirt and stuff there. So, mm. but yeah, it was, um, but yeah, so you really have to have a car that's set up well to do well out there. And you could see that with 
professional awesome. Like they did the test day. I did the test day. Um, they did the test day and they go out, run like a lap, come in, fix something, run, mm-hmm. go out there and do a lap, come in fix something. You could literally see like the evolution of like just even their suspension adjustments in the front end coming into that first turn and turn one, because it started off like dragging the nose and then huge, like back to tons hmm. and tons of body roll. And they dialed that down a lot where the car stayed a lot flatter. And so it was pretty wild. Hmm. Um, I never driven the track to have comparison, but a lot of people who had driven the track, like Gabriel Shadid, who's a guy who's from Colorado, mm-hmm. he uh, was saying that the track, the track is way slower than it's ever been. Like it's just, it's been beat down that much. So it was, mm-hmm. it was cool to see how fast guys were still going though. Like the surface is worn down or, or something mm-hmm. else? Yeah. Surface. Yep. Okay. yep. The surface. Yeah. Okay. So it's due for a repave. They say. Yeah. Yeah. See if they do it. Well, mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you mentioned it, let's, let's at least just clarify, you had an engine failure and I mm-hmm. you posted something up a couple of days ago about, you know, it was that engine had done a lot of work, but yeah. you're making a lot of, a lot of G force in the corners. And it sounds like the, this, this track, like there was just no break, like no straights. It was just all from one corner to the next. And so, I mean, yep. do you think that that was a factor as well, or what is your sense? 100- 100% grip force for sure. Okay. Um, you can see the heat in that rod before, like it worn that, like usually, you know, when you like spin a rod bearing, half of it ends up, you know, they end up on top of each other and clamshelling. Mm-hmm. That's not what happened in this thing. You could tell that that rod bearing got worn down to the rod. And so like that tang that's on the rod mm-hmm. bearing that locates the rod bearing is literally like still there. And that's all that's left of the rod bearing. That's all that's and left of the bearing. yeah and so like the rod itself was like was i mean super super heated um it was like you could tell it was black and blue um from the heat and so kind of like what uh, for those who don't know i basically just run like a stock oil pan stock pickup um and i run the rcm little um, suction cup that little damper which i think is amazing and Mm -hmm. um and that's all i've ever ran in that car Uh, and then just like basically a vented um, catch can, nothing crazy at all. Mm-hmm. And so when I was on street tires earlier in the year, and this is looking at, I would call this comparative data, maybe not like empirical data and not like, Oh, that was exactly 2.04 G's or 1.55, mm-hmm. but to see the progression from tires and tires and suspension adjustments and changes and stuff, at different tracks, like basically we were running like my peak G's last year, we're in like the 1.55 range. On my peak G's this year on street tires, like pretty much everything I ran all the way up until the A005s are like 1.5, a touch with a 1.6 here and there. I did the A005s without doing anything else with the suspension for optimizing the, for the tires at Topeka. Never been to that track before. And I ran, uh, we had peak G's in the 1.77 was our peak lateral Almost G's 1.8. there. 1.8, wow. Mm-hmm. And so, and I drained the oil after every every track weekend. So mm-hmm. I used to want to do it like you guys were talking about, like every day, but mm-hmm. at least do it every track weekend. So at 1.55 G's or whatever we we're hitting all summer, never had any bearing material at all. Um, when we got to 1.77, trained it from Topeka, no bearing material in the oil, no visual bearing material in the oil at all. Mm-hmm. Um, then we went, I made some, some suspension alignment adjustments before we went to um, La Junta because I wanted to have a big oh, yeah. improvement at La Junta. So I went to La Junta, which for those who aren't familiar, La Junta is not, it's got one really long, high speed, 
um, right-hander, but the track itself is, it's not great. It's, it's, um, it's an older, it's an older track. It, it literally um, looks it, like a dog leg, isn't it? Or like a that's, boomerang. That's a hand. That's a handy way to say it. That's the okay. PG way to say it. Okay. Um, but yeah, so, so at that track we hit 1.86 G's. So mm. for me, that was like the new, new, like I'd never, never seen that before. Um, when I was watching the data, like watching the video, I noticed that on right handers, I was doing 1.8 and then on left handers is doing 1.3. And I was like, well, there's mm-hmm. one left hander. Uh, there's one left hander at La Hunta. Mm-hmm. So then I watched my video footage from, um, Topeka and it was really similar, like 1.8 G's, you know, like average 1.8 G's and then 1.5 going left. So I said, mm-hmm. okay, there's. Nick at Stanford and Savannah Little always talked about corner weight in the car, corner balance in the car. Maybe I should corner balance. I'll talk to them and see what they think. Maybe I should corner balance the car. So I don't want to do it. I've never corner balanced my car and I would recommend it. Granted, it's really, really frustrating. So mm. frustrating. Um, but when I, I corner balance, when I started my corner balance in the car, I was 5% off on cross weight. So my, mm-hmm. I was 55, 45. Okay. So, a huge difference. And that's basically how the car has been set up all, all season. Mm-hmm. So then I redid the alignment. I raised the rear up a little bit because everyone's telling me how bumpy it was. Um, ch- took some spring packs and stuff out and then went back on it again. And then I got it down to 0.3% cross weight. I was oh, 49.7, wow. 50.3. So to me, it was like, I was going crazy. Like it's just really, you had to yeah. try to, to do your corner balance you have to replicate everything perfect every time you have to have a sequence almost have to do it like three times to make sure you're getting the same numbers to make it as repeatable so by this point i had like two days wrapped into corner balancing two total days wow. as usually zach stamus is um feedback who runs pro form here in the springs and um so basically we got it to three tenths so we went from five percent to three tenths of a percent go to button willow we're hitting like 2.04 g's one way like a uh, 1.9 something the other way. Wow. So we got it like really, really close. And I think with the fresh alignment and especially that change in the corner balancing, we brought the whole grip level up of the car substantially. Mm-hmm. And that was just too much for the, for the rod bearing at that well, point. And, and the track where you don't have any, any straights, any yeah. breaks, it's just one corner no. to the next. Yeah, it is. I mean, you're literally like coming over like a floater, right into a left-hander over a straight another left-hander yeah. ripping a right over a bend ripping a right into i mean it's just like some people i did do like a a, a little live stream just like instagram live on my phone um mm-hmm. on saturday the end of the day saturday which wasn't the fastest session but i did like five laps back to back and every part of the car was pissed off <laughs> oh <laughs> like man every bit of it you know the transmission didn't want to shift and like every bit but like that's how crazy that track is. It's just, it's just mm-hmm. very like, and a lot of people got to see like just how, I mean, back to back to back every corner is on that track. I mean, you get a couple straights, but it are literally leading into like really fast, like exchanges, you know, yeah. like a left and a right and then a left again or a right and a left and a right. And it's pretty wild. So, Man. well, and, and so you, you kind of did a, I don't know what, what uh, a summary of, of what that engine had done. So like, Oh yeah. Okay. Give us, give us a sense of how much, how many events that engine had been through and okay. such. So, um, Keith, so last year we had the cam gear failure at road America. 
So at the end of the season, I sent that engine to Keith Gostrex down in Ohio. He tore the engine apart um, and saw that there was a light side and a heavy side with the engine. Um, and so he just moved the parts around to get it pretty close within like a tenth or a gram or something side to side. New valves, new valve stems, and I think he did new rod bearings and new main bearings and then sent the engine back to me before Coda. So at Coda, we got, well, I got the car running, like, cool, the car starts, everything seems to be happy, didn't test drive anything, didn't break in anything, loaded the car in the trailer, typical Ryan Desix fashion, go to Coda. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> its break-in period was essentially, uh, we ran the break-in oil through the first two sessions of Coda. So its break-in period at Coda was 8,000 RPM rev limiter, every through through every gear i mean we were pretty much within a couple tenths of our fastest time ever there mm -hmm. um right out of the out of the gate so so we'll call that um, heartbreaking yeah we'll call that an aggressive break in it aggressive was funny break, because yeah. keith was um he had he he's gonna enjoy this so he was very much like oh yeah man i mean if you're not bending off a regular rev limiter you're not you're not breaking that motor and i was like okay but you mm -hmm. could <laughs> the guys were telling me that when i would come across through that front stretch that he was like literally nervous. So you could, you mm -hmm. could just see like the stress on his face, but I would pull in and everything would be good. He's like, yeah, man. Yeah. Just keep out there. Just beat on that thing. You know, you got to break it in. Right. And then I go out there and he's like, just like a little worry wart over there mm -hmm. in the paddock. And so that's how the motor started its season. Uh, we basically ran it that way. That's how we broke it in. Uh, we did 13 events, 13 track weekends with that car. Um, it was in, I might get this wrong, but essentially nine different tracks in six different states. Plus, wow. I use it to uh, – we did a couple video stuff uh, for PPIR with it. Um, Nick Stinford, Savannah Little, and I have played around the track a little bit with the cars. I've done a handful of autocrosses with it. And the autocrosses are like 8,000 RPM launches and just banging gears and then you're done. You know, So, I mean, mm -hmm. it's not super hard, but it's really tough on it at the same time. So, essentially, that car had – I easily estimate 30 days on track plus a bunch of extra stuff. Mm -hmm. So I know that doesn't sound like a, it sounds like a lot to me. That's, but I know I'd say for, that's kind of a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think when people's like, oh man, his motor only lasts one season. Uh, it's like, oh, this is like, this would be like the craziest season anybody would have ever had. I feel like that's up there with any of my years of competition I've ever had. Maybe not all the different track numbers, but. He still traveled quite a bit, East Coast, West Coast, a couple times, and everywhere yeah. in between. So, well, so, and and I wanted to throw this out because one of the the videos as we're recording this, we just put up. We talked about this Donut Media video where they had the engine failure in their high low WRX, and and they mm -hmm. were understandably frustrated because they had rebuilt the engine and they had under two hundred miles on it, and and they had a bearing failure that was reasonably catastrophic, and. We made that video because we've, we started getting calls from people that have watched this video and that are like super concerned about having a bearing failure because like what they kind of categorized it as was like a these super EJ engines, they have inherently bad oiling. This is, you know, we're not surprised that it happened kind of thing. And yeah, and it's just, which I think it, they just, they made it sound they, I think the, the design of the engine and the car itself is blamed maybe a little bit too much, mm -hmm. unfairly so. And they just, they, 
they have such a following. I mean, that it's we're getting calls from people that are just really concerned about doing anything fun with their car now. And then it was, yes, you had a failure too, but like like the the difference between the two, you you did a hard break in, like no yeah. no questions about it, and and that engine held up, I would say, reasonably well. And you can probably point to that last event, the type of track, the G loads. I mean, there's there's a lot of factors there that probably contributed to that failure. Like if, if you wouldn't have been running with that alignment setup and at that track, um, like if you would have been high planes and you would have been running your, your 1.5, 1.7 Gs, mm-hmm. maybe the engine would still be running today. Yeah. I, I mean, I really do think, and it's kind of something we talked about. So for the people who don't know, I have the hill climb car. We're putting a lot of effort into it. So I don't know when the, uh, the yellow car is going to be back out and playing again. But that being said, I mean, we could put it back together just like it was and run the oil pan just like it was. And I'm confident that that with that setup, with literally just that $20 RCM part and all stock stuff, that anybody on street tires without aero is going to be just fine. Um, that being said, I don't want to go slower. I want to keep going faster even in that car. So, like, for me, slicks is the answer. I mean, I picked yeah. up so much time just with slick. Like, at La Junta, I was like, all right, cool. I was on AL52s, took the AL52s off and put on the used A005s and went a full second faster on a 1.3 mile track. Like yeah. a full second, just right off the hit. Just like first thing, boom, there's a second. And then yeah. found another like seven tenths of a second by the end of the second day. Like the, the amount of grip difference between the, even an AL52 and that A005 is huge. Yeah. You know, and. And so for me, I mean, I do think that that is the street tires, people on street tires with, even with like something, I mean, everybody knows my stance about some of these companies, but like IAG makes a great oil pan that I feel like anybody's running IAG competition pan or a killer B high G pan or whatever. On something street with tires. baffles, something with, yeah, a little something bit more with baffling. baffling. Uh, even the RCM, like that really trick. I, I wish I had the RCM pan now, <laughs> but right. you know, cause but at the bare minimum, the coolest thing about it, about what I did, I think, is I just showed, I felt like I created a line of like, this is how far you can take a stock oil pan, like a stock baffled yeah. oil pan with just a $20 mod to this point. You go past this point and then you're in the danger zone. But Well, and, it and was two Gs is crazy. Oh, I mean, that's on a, that's with no that's With lot. no arrow, like with just mechanical yeah. grip alone. Yeah. Right. So I think like the upside about that is, uh, and I don't know if this is the problem with the donut media thing, but the biggest thing that helped my motor was because it was built by a professional engine builder, you know, somebody who I feel like deserves a big high five and a big shout out out there because I feel like a lot of the problems that people have with EJs is who's putting them together. Everybody's got somebody knows somebody who's putting these things together, Yeah, you know, and I've had really good luck with OEM motors. And those mm-hmm. are built to OEM standards. I've had much better luck with OEM motors. And then, of course, great luck with Keith's motors. So, I mean, that this is Keith I want to put that up. Keith yeah. at 969 Performance. And goes right. WRX on Instagram, but 969 Performance is yeah. his shop. Yeah. So, I'm not saying that the guy who built your engine or your engine or your engine is a bad engine builder, but you have to take some of these things with a grain of salt. So, I felt like we really took a, a really well built motor and a really good inherently good motor from the start because it was it was a spec c engine 
mm-hmm. you know, and then pushed it way beyond, I think, what anybody would have would have thought that a stock oil pit can do yeah. and found that limit. Like, that's you're going to blow shit up. Well, I mean, again, two G's, <laughs> two G's silo. Yeah. Like, you, you got to figure that a lot of streetcars on. I mean, even sticky street tires, like like the 200 Treadwear Cheaters, you know, whatever. I mean, you're going to probably get just a little bit over 1, 1 G in the corners, maybe 1.1, 1.2. I mean, getting to the point where you're doing 2 Gs in a corner, I mean, that's that's a lot. Mm-hmm. And and so like yeah. the, the, the sloshing of the oil, I mean, that's going to be significant there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it. The, the, the frustrating part of that, the way that they categorize that failure is that they made it sound like all too typical and all too expected of just a mm-hmm. Subaru turbo engine, which is, I mean, if that hasn't been my experience, I would say that that hasn't been your experience. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's this is not, actually the, normal. this is only second bearing failure I've ever had out of all my engines. Wow. And the first one was one I put together. So mm. I could, <laughs> that just shows you right there. Like why it's important to have a, a, an actual professional I suspension alignments, like that kind of stuff, like the chassis side of a car. I love that stuff. It's, yeah. it's really macro, but when you get yeah. to something like really micro where it's, we're talking like thousands, tens of hundreds of thousands of clearances and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, Keith was telling me the difference between like an A size piston and a B size piston is to like the fourth decimal place. Like, yeah. I don't even, yeah. couldn't, I can't even visualize that. So that's, that's really tough for me. Well, and, and the other thing that I think is worth mentioning, and this, we touched on this before, but it's worth mentioning again, is, you know, you're also paying attention to the car. You have, you have people out there that are helping you that are paying attention yeah. to the car. You're not just doing session after session after session and maybe Dona Media does too. I, I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't know what, what their process was, but I mean, if, if you go out there and you're not paying attention to the car and, and too, like with, with, the kind of break-in procedure that you did, you know, just going right to the track. You don't have, you don't know what the car is going to do. You don't know what the engine is going to do. So you got to figure that out. So that means you got to pay really close attention to like, okay, I went out for two sessions, you know, and, and then you're, you're dumping the oil. Like, all right, let, are, mm-hmm. are we losing any oil or is there, are there any issues? There's a lot of attention that you want to pay to the engine in that early process. And if you're not paying that attention, if there's something, I mean, it could be anything, any, any kind of, build or assembly issue of the engine that could be kind of like percolating as, as you're going through. And if you're not catching it and, and correcting it in that process, that's, that is the, the risk of a hard break in is that it, it can bite you quickly because you're, mm-hmm. you're pushing basically an engine with a lot of untested hoses and components and, and you name it right out of the gate. Yep, Absolutely. Um, I think like for anybody at home is really that paranoid about it. I mean, and it doesn't want to invest in a dry sump because I get that too. I mean, unfortunately, I think I'm really pumped that you guys have the RCM dry sump figured out. Like yeah. I see, I've seen a lot of people who just with dry sumps alone have just struggled to get, to just make it work in and on yeah. a Subaru well, alone. And, and I get that. Too, that yeah. Is, yeah, exactly. And, and I get that that is not reasonable for a street car. But if you go down the dry sump path or the wet sump path, there's I'm pretty confident that you'll be fine. But you can't just assume that your engine was the good one, like the Tuesday through Thursday engine built at Subaru or the whatever engine with the highest tolerance is built from XYZ manufacturer. You kind of have to have a trend. So kind of like what you're saying, I went to Coda, did the hard break in. 
I had my engine builder there and he was the one who looked after it. You know, he right. was the one who listened to it. Yep. He's the one who wanted all the feedback on it. Yeah. And so, and draining that oil after, you know, that two sessions gave him a picture of what the engine was doing right then and there. Did I overdo it on this rod bolt? Is it too loose clearance on this? Are we getting way too much bearing material? Like once you have, like once I had that, once he had that baseline, he was confident that I could just push this thing to, to whatever yeah. I do with it. Yeah. You know, so people who get into tracking their car for the first time or tracking a new to them car, you have to start establishing that baseline too. So like stuff like oil sampling and drain your oil, doing oil changes after every track event that you do at the bare minimum with oil sample. If you're seeing a lot of bearing material, you should know that you should start planning. Well, and, and the other thing I would just add to that, and Tasha, you've been awful quiet. I want to come back to you here in a second. Just, I, I'm sure you got something to throw in, but he's the king of heartbreaking. <laughs> man, well, that's a lot. That's a lot to live up to. Um, but just you know, paying attention to other things like, okay, are you having issues with your P- PCV system, oil uh, oil control system? Are you are you moving oil into your catch can or oil, air oil separator? How much mm-hmm. are you having issues with the air oil separator draining or not? Like you've got to pay attention to all those other systems too, because like. If you're if you're having that those that that oil moving in places where it shouldn't go, and then that's causing uh, your your sum to get low or lower, then that just exacerbates any kind of problem that you might have in corners or, or whatever. So you've got to pay attention to all these all these little details, and you know once you get a hand a handle on what where to look, what to look for, then I mean you can you can read what's going on reasonably easily. But you've got to you've got to kind of know where to look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Tasso. I don't ding, even ding, have do. anything. Yeah, not even that divisive to say here, but <laughs> you know, it's pretty standard stuff. <clears throat> I mean, you're calling it a baseline. I call it a personality, um, whether yeah. it's a car or a motor or whatever. Um, Cause I've had a handful of motors in my car over the years now, and I got to know that car pretty well too. And they all have personalities, right? So like this mm-hmm. last motor I had was sloppy, um, but shit. You know, but it, you knew it, it after it. Yeah, it was, it was sloppy, but it, it performed um, and hard, right? And I'd, I would keep oil in it, and it kept trying to remove its own oil. Um, but as long as I kept up with that, it, it was uh, like full-on party motor. Like that thing right. sat, it probably probably sat on the rev limiter or on launch control more than most, you know, tuner Subarus have spent above, you know, three and a half thousand RPM. Um, right. So it's, I get tired of people blaming like, Oh, you know, Subarus, you're going to have a head gasket. Oh, how many times done the head gasket in your race car? I don't know. None. Um, None. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We've we've done a couple, but but why don't you go come up with an original thought you parrot? Um, Well, and so, and I would even say that like, you've got to understand what the issue is. I mean, it's, it's not like, we, we had head gasket issues. We documented all the head gasket issues and really what it came down to, right? We, this is, this is where the oil cap or not the oil cap, radiator cap. The radiator cap. We, we had, we had an issue, a fundamental issue with the cooling system that, that we just, we missed literally for almost a decade. But you weren't really yeah. having head gasket issues. You were having cylinder wall melting out issues. Because well, of of well, no, no. One we, thing <laughs> leads to another, right? Basically every right. year at Pikes Peak, the car would overheat. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then every year it would overheat. Like there was a couple times where we did head gaskets just because it overheated if there wasn't anything more serious to be done. But then we were chasing our tails. We couldn't keep the car cool. So yeah, that, but that's so we, not a, I'm driving to the market in my Subaru, let another head gasket go. 
I mean, that's yeah. a, a competition well, motor true. not having everything functioning correctly. But, right? but so. I, I guess what I would throw in is knowing that we had the radiator caps wrong the whole time, we were, we were opening ourselves up to a very fundamental issue that could crop up, and it, it, which could crop up on any street-driven car once yeah. it got up to sure. peak temperature. And if you yeah. go run you know, bargain basement oil and don't check it, then yeah, you're going to have yep. oil failure issues, right? Yep. If you're, um, I mean, Ryan, I admire what you did with that motor, um, you know, and being a relatively stock motor and pushing it really hard, but it's not a surprise to me that when, I mean, you, you picture a car with one, one G lateral load, that oil is in, you know, in a, you know, absence of other forces, which are a bunch, right. but if you just had one G lateral load, that's 45 degrees that that oil is sitting against the side, two G's, mm -hmm. it's what, like 60 degrees that yeah. it's hanging out there. Right. So, uh, it, it doesn't surprise me at all that you're starting to have that failure at that point. And yeah, you know, it's a party car. It has for, you know, the money that you've put into that thing, it's outperformed. It's, it's, it's punched way above its weight, yeah. even mm -hmm. though it has this huge pedigree and, and all these kind right. of things. Right. But, but just purely powertrain wise, it's a pretty stock car. Right. So it's, mm -hmm. it's way out punched its weight. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, that's a little warrior of a car. I, I admire yeah. it. There, so. There's some secret sauce going on there. In, In the, the car. chassis. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. yeah. 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 But, but just that's a little the... castellated, you know, oil pickup thing from RCM. I run a, um, I run a RCM pan. With, with um, that, yeah, with a uh, with baffling and that little castellated nut, mm -hmm. and you know that RCM pan is derived from the Subaru the WRC yeah. era, uh, you know, Pro Drive. Yeah, WRC yeah. cars ran wet sump at that yeah. point, right? And that was that was the Group N pan. Yeah, there's mm -hmm. derived yeah, from Group right, N right. pan. Yeah. But uh, but all the way back through the you know the Subaru WRC you know heyday, right when they were winning champion or winning a championship. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, they were, those were wet sump cars by regulation. So it's, yep. mm -hmm. you know, don't, uh, I don't know. It's, I got on my high yeah. horse and got off my high horse three or four times in that statement, but, um, and then got back on it. Um, but yeah, yeah. it's, uh, you know, I don't the know. Other... I don't want to talk about no. oil league anymore. It's well, Subarus well, no. are great Thank motors. You. Thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 The last and thing every is... one of all these motors have problems. And I just want to throw this out there too. Everyone loves the K-Series. I don't sure. think any, I mean, I don't know how many times I've had people tell me, oh, just put a K-Series in your Subaru. The K-Series is the new LS. Like now, it's, now put an LS in everything. Yeah. Now it's put a K-Series in everything. Yeah. They're susceptible yeah. to failure in the exact same session that I had my engine failure. Uh, Nick Stennerford launched his rod out the side of his engine. And he, he has this epic photo. Whoever caught this photo, it's just dope. It's basically his car's white. And then there's just white smoke billowing out of the car because it's pretty much on fire. And Nick is outside of the car walking away from it on the track. And somebody captured that moment and it's fucking wow. epic. Sweet. Because that's <laughs> that's what it is, right? Like we're doing this stuff to do epic shit. And mm. so anyway, that's that's it's all engines have there's something in every mark. There's not like a complete idiot proof. Right. Yeah. Mark out how the many race car. How many World there. Rally Championship wins does the K series have? None. Yeah. yeah. None. How many does the LS have? None. Now, arguably the four G four G motors have way more than Subarus do, but that's fine. They're heavy. So screw those guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, and and the one thing that I just want to add is like I think what we have to get away from it, like if you're gonna if you're I two things. One is like track fear. Like you can't 
get it in your head that if you just take your car to the track, you're going to have a failure, period. Like that's, there's things to do, there's steps to take, monitoring is necessary, but you're not, there's no guaranteed failure. I've never, knock wood, I'm going to knock some wood here if I can find some. I've never had a catastrophic failure at the track. I've had failures at the track, but never anything that's like taking out an engine or anything like that. And I've always run the stock oiling system. But the other thing we have to get out of our head is just the, 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 there, everybody wants to guess. Nobody wants to know what's going on. Everybody just wants to guess. Well, you, you, you need to collect data. If you really want to track your car a, a decent number of times, or especially if you want to compete, you've got to get gauges. You've got to get data. You've got to see what's going on. You can't just, you know, sometimes not knowing is, is less stressful because, you know, ignorance is bliss and all that. Like you have no idea, like, hey, I'm doing all these 2G corners. Boy, I hope my oil pressure is okay. Eh, if the engine's still running, it must be fine, right? But like to actually collect data and see what's going on with the oil pressure. No, because then if you are having like the beginnings of an issue or the, or the signs of an issue, then you know and you can address it. And then you're not going to have hopefully a catastrophic failure. But it's you can't just guess. You know, you can't just pick a pan because three people say that this is the best pan, put it on there and just go, my oil problems are solved. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe it's better. Hopefully it's better. But like, unless you've got an oil pressure gauge, unless you are doing some data logging and seeing what's going on, you don't, you don't know. You, you just don't, you're just guessing. And yeah, it just, it's hard, it's hard to pin down a problem. And then that's, that's where it becomes all too easy to just blame uh, it's EJ engines. They have, they have oiling issues. Of course, I'm going to lose a bearing. Mm -hmm. And yes. also you should be okay with not knowing if you don't have that stuff. Just, well, I don't know. You motor, are until you're motor, motor blew yeah. the fuck up. I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's pieces yeah, that everywhere. Is, that is a pet peeve of mine is where people will be. I, a lot of people ask me what happened, and I only speculated what happened. And I right. know that there's a lot of people who will speculate, but maybe aren't as transparent about it being speculation. Um, but I, it always drives me nuts when people just leave it at that, and then they never, they never investigate what happened. Oh, I had yeah. a cracked oil, a cracked tube, or crack pickup or crack this i'm like yeah. i mean i was i, I figured keith was going to be the one that tear it apart to see what was wrong but when it was glaringly obvious what was wrong i didn't have to speculate anymore yeah i, I think it was the rod why do you say that well it was found 16 feet over there <laughs> off the side of the track and it was definitely yeah. outside the car i'm thinking that yeah. it had something to yeah. do with it yeah matt she met yes hmm. all right well enough about super engines and problems. Tasso, what have you been up to? Growing a mustache. Hell I yeah. can see that. Bert yeah. would be proud. Yeah. Uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's for all the ladies. Um, <laughs> oh boy. Uh, not a whole lot. Mostly nope. uh, drilling a shit ton of spot welds. Yeah. Um, prepping, prepping the chassis still. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I finally have a, a direction with the roll cage, and we'll see. Because I was talking to old Zach ZF Design about this yesterday. You don't count your chickens before you're hatched when it comes to, you know, actually having parts in hand kind of thing. But I think I have a direction for a cage. It won't be one of those homologated kits because um, another thing I've been doing is going over a bunch of rule sets lately. Oh. Um, we're Every year for the CHCA, we the whole class gets together, proposes rules, we vote on changes, and and blah blah blah, right? And so, in that, we try and ground a lot of our kind of rules discussion in other rule sets, um, mm -hmm. so that we don't wander off. And this is a question I have for you guys later. I'll, I'll bring mm -hmm. up is, 
we're always kind of wondering what is a rally car. You know, if we have a rally class of hill climb oh. cars, what what is that? You know, um, whatever principally or or ethos, what is a rally car? Because hmm. you know, we're proud of the fact that we're not rally cars, right? Because we're unrestricted, we're lighter, we're faster, we're less boring, and all that stuff. Um, okay. So, in that though, going over rule sets. I'll make this part fast because actually that question is probably way more fun to talk about. Um, okay. You know, the homologated cages are just too locked down, right? You can't, you know, metallurgically change anything in the cage. Otherwise it loses its homologation status. And so then it's like, well, what if I want to modify this, that, whatever it's fine for, if you're just going to slap it in and go and take your group and car, um, you know, with no modifications, but I do so much stuff to the car in terms of cutting stuff out and this and that. And that's a lot of what I'm, you know, old, Scotty Musgrove is going to come up uh, as soon as we're done pod- podcasting here and, and help me drill out spot welds to get Again. the B pillar, B pillar reinforced. Yeah. So he's already come up once <laughs> Poor guy. Um, I don't know why he's volunteered to, to help because he's just one of the best dudes around. Um, but it's, and, it's and he hates spot welds and he hates spot yeah. welds. Right. So, hates spot <laughs> welds. Like, yeah. He's done it himself on his car. So he knows the, the pain and suffering of, so, I mean, shit, man. So, right, there's so much weight. I have a bin going right now, um, like a plastic bin of all the random brackets because we're allowed to remove any bracket from the car that, is, that isn't otherwise necessary to hold a mandatory part or a required part or something like that, which okay. means there's, there's tons of stuff in the car that, like, is a reinforcement point for, like, your rear seat belts and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So remove that shit, right? There's, you know, uh, a whole panel at the base of the firewall, kind of the firewall floor section on GD mm-hmm. that's really just there for like sound and heat deadening, right? right. So mm-hmm. remove that shit. And it mounts some underhood or some under dash stuff, right? That I don't run. So a lot of that shit coming out, stock seat rail stuff coming out, B pillars. We we just have to maintain actually the way our rules uh, are right now, they just have to stay metallic. Um, but well, so, so does this, is this, I'm thinking this ties into your question about what is a rally car, right? Mm-hmm. And and the, and then also this is probably where the homologated cage comes in, right? Because if you're so the well maybe go ahead and I'll I'll come back to that. No, that's I mean that's the that's nail it. on the head though, right? So if uh, you got to take out the current top crop of WRC cars, the Rally One cars, right? Because they're two frame cars, um, but that's a big safety thing that the WRC or FIA has gone to, right? Because they're those cars are so ridiculously fast now, much faster than Group B era cars. Oh yeah, um, they're you know full of batteries and and stuff like that now too. There's all sorts of stuff, and they they've brought driver safety to this just amazing place. I'm I'm jealous of how safe those cars are for how performance oriented they are at the same time. It's mm-hmm. just do yourself a favor and go look at the amount of like uh, foam between each occupant and it's like side door, right? It's a hundred percent foam all molded in perfectly. And, and only the way like, like a four factory impact outfit. That, it, that is designed. Yes. Like if you, if you have some kind of a sign impact right. and like and it has wax it. already helped drivers, right? It's yep. the same thing like the halo and formula one, right? Yep. Everyone's like, Oh, bravo. This isn't formula one anymore. And the yep. first thing that goes out and happens is, some dudes based on who it was yeah right like lewis hamilton yeah. took a tire to the face or something yeah. or was, i think it was with, Grosjean uh, or something i don't know it was it was like a, a submarine style accident yeah. and yeah maybe uh in italy or something like that but anyways yeah. right so it's 
Okay, so right back to the point. Get WRC top level rally one cars out because there's space, you know, space chassis, tube frame, all this kind of whatever, right? Um, everything else is a stock unibody car to some extent, right? Right. Um, so, is that what makes a rally car? And our with our previous rule set being B pillars must be metallic, mm-hmm. the floor must you know you know factory or you know, factory adjacent style firewall and floor pan must exist. A and B pillars must be metallic. C pillar must exist, can be replaced with a composite. Then, I mean, we had a tube chassis car show up last year. Um, Mm. Yeah, the Hyundai. No, not the Hyundai. The Hyundai was sick. That's a global rallycross car, um, which was an XWRC car from a pre-tube chassis area. Response Um, car, yeah. Right. And that's actually badass, and that's something we took into account with this new rule set is, well, what is FIA Rallycross? The GRC Rallycross just point back when it existed because it's gone now. It's now it's natural Rallycross, whatever. But the GRC cars just pointed at FIA Rallycross rules, you know, Supercar yep. 1 and 2 or whatever their classes are called. Um, so, well, what do those rule books say? And they're re- pretty tight, actually. Um, you know, they're actually really similar to like ARA's open class rally cars. Um, mm-hmm. So it's tough. Right? It's, uh, there's a, this weird, if you were to draw like a Venn diagram, um, FIA rally cross, GRC, ARA open class cars, to some extent, they all got mostly unibody still in place. Um, the factory unibody. Yeah. Factory unibody. Right. And so, but. Well, and what's, what seems... is the rule? What is the rule as far as the cage and the gusseting and how much of of a chat how much of a chassis stiffness benefit can the cage play or be there is no limit on how much stiffness a cage can add to a chassis but in in That's the called- fia rules correct okay um there's, it's so like you know uh scca competition rules and stuff like that right they limit thought- the number of points that a yeah, cage yeah, can tie right. into a chassis for stiffening yeah. and stuff yep. fia doesn't care the only thing okay. that really kind of references that is you're not really allowed to patch holes with metal unless they're in the passenger compartment. So like oh, okay. we use, if anybody has stripped a car, you know, there's about 5 million holes in the car yeah. at that point, right? Yeah. Whether it's not, not even the spot welds, if you drill them the old fashioned way and just drill them and create a bunch of holes that way, but just your whole floor pan is just covered in holes. Yeah. There's factory metal plugs that are bonded in. There's factory plastic plugs all over the place. There's other components that used to come through a firewall, say mm-hmm. that you don't have anymore, like, you know, heater, air conditioner stuff, all that, you know, all that kind of stuff leaves holes in the passenger compartment. FIA says that you can plug those things with metal, but not anywhere else. It has to be done with aluminum tape. Um, what about including does the, is the firewall included as the passenger compartment? Because mm-hmm. technically, it's the passenger compartment in front of you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so but it's, it's, it's the separation between the passenger right. compartment and the non. Right. Yeah. And to that, what they say is, yeah, passenger compartment plug with metal and the firewall should reasonably impede fire. Right. Or something. Yeah, okay. Something it has that to be able to do its yeah. job. Yeah. It has yeah, to be yeah. a firewall of some sort. Um, well, so this is this is where I was. What I was going to say is when you when you there's there's a lot of reinforcements like we we know. That in the B pillar of a Subaru, Subaru B pillars and A pillars, to be fair, too, have crazy amounts of reinforcement, which yeah. give the unibody a crazy amount of inherent stiffness. Right. And so, like a lot of the FIA certified cages, like the out of the box stuff, 
it it is not designed to gusset to the A pillar or the B pillar because in a Subaru because they know like these things are really strong as it is. But then if you want to now you're talking about drilling out all of these pieces of metal that are that reinforcement. Now you don't have that inherent strength. Yeah. So you need to be so able to the B pillar. Here yeah. is one of many gray areas that we run yeah. into that's yeah. really hard because I hate gray areas and rules as a rule writer as one of the mm. you know previous class reps and class rep next year for for the rally all-wheel drive class at the chca as as a person writing these rules i hate these gray areas because then it leaves it up to essentially the tech inspector's interpretation, interpretation. which yeah. sucks um because fuck that shit i don't want some guy to just have an opinion about whether or not my car is legal or not or, or even right. myself right the same way um but also I'm, I'm always worried about like liability stuff too, right? Like say someone cries, yeah. crashes, dies in their car and like, well, your rule set says that this isn't legit, right? So so it's on you to determine whether or not that's safe or not. Apparently it wasn't. What kind of training do you have, Mr. Tech Inspector? Yeah. Like, none. Right. Um, right. Uh, okay. A lot of times. So, I mean. So, all right. So these things all suck. And here's a gray area, right? If it's uh, in ARA open class rules, the A and B pillars just must remain factory profile metallic. C pillar okay. factory profile. What's factory profile mean to you right now? If you were to hear that, I would say the exterior exterior should yeah. resemble like yep. the the painted the, material. The, the, of the place, the the size. Uh -huh. Yeah, from yeah. the outside, so, and yeah. that's what yeah. it is by interpretation commonly, right? It's mm -hmm. the yeah. outside only, not the inside. My interpretation would be, oh, the inside should be factory profile too. In fact, I was mm. getting ready to clamshell the B pillar to pull it apart, pull the heavy stuff out and put it back together. And then I actually talked to an ARA technical director who said, oh no, we just mean the outside. Well, what's mm -hmm. the outside mean to you? Just the outside piece of sheet metal. Well, where does that yeah. stop? Uh, effectively the pinch welds, right? And so there's all sorts of rules right. in ARA and FIA who are, you know, the factory, uh, the front door openings and the trunk or rear hatch opening must remain factory shape. And they define that as to the pinch welds. Mm -hmm. Factory profile doesn't have a definition. So we're actually going to try and include this here that commonly acknowledged interpretation of factory profile being the outside up to the pinch welds when viewed from the outside, either of the door mm -hmm. opening or the windshield or rear window opening. So you're, holy, you're, holy you're shit, talking right? like about clarifying... A, that the yeah. profile is what? in fact the outside yeah. and that the so, inside is not part of that. Right. So we're doing okay. all this stuff, but we're also a class that prides ourselves on being um, pretty low rules, show up, have a good time, it's cheap, get after it, right? So why do we try and make these Venn diagrams match? Well, right? and, and so and, here's here's the other part of that though. So so why why does this matter? Why are you drilling out all this all this these spot welds to remove these panels and weight? Well so you, if you have to have a cage for a car and the cage has to meet certain minimum requirements for safety and structure, okay, well, you're adding weight by doing that. And you're adding a decent amount of weight because it has to be pretty reasonable mm -hmm. thickness and size of steel tubes to get the safety effect from putting the cage in in the first place. Right. Well, you're adding all this weight. Well, but you put in a cage that mirrors the B pillar and the B pillar has all this inherent strength in it which comes with a weight penalty. Right. If, you, if you take all this weight out before you put the cage in, you can save a lot of weight. Like, mm -hmm. like we now yeah, know- Subaru B pillars yeah. are tens of pounds of reinforcement each yeah. up high, right? Yeah. Like above head yeah. weight. So. And, and so like, like our Pike Speed Car, 
we have the cage put in it. This is like years ago. We didn't, didn't even, this wasn't even a thought process of ours at the time. The cage is just put in and the factory unibody is completely intact. If we had another shell and we were building that exact same car right now, it would, it, as a start, it would be 150 pounds lighter than what it is. Yeah. You could easily take about 150 pounds of weight, maybe more out of the unibody of the car because we'd be bringing it back with the structure of the cage. Right. In horrible even think places about that. too, not just yeah. 150 pounds in the floor. Right. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of like bracketry high. down there up high, right? Yeah. Yeah. If, if you are listening to this, wondering why that matters, then maybe, well, uh, I was going to say you should fight another podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Welcome yeah. to the podcast. <laughs> Holy shit. Weight is bad. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the one thing that makes everything better is a car being lighter. Yeah, um, yeah. And it, the higher or further from the center of gravity that weight is, the more it matters. Right. So, well, it's so mean, and, and, even, and, and so that's so, so you know how my roll cage in my yellow car is like three inches off the roof. Yeah, that's one of the things that I was talking to a guy about, and he's like, "Oh, the whole the, the roll cage isn't less safe. The whole reason it's like that they they do that in all the Japanese touring cars. They only make them as tall as they have to." to keep the weight as low as possible. Right. right. So not only does it keep that weight lower because the cage mm -hmm. goes less high, mm -hmm. also it's used it's literally the cage is lighter because that tube has to go less far yeah. to go yeah. up. Right. Yeah. So now it's, so it's a small, multiple reasons. It's a small Many, other reason too is that so they, they it, it used to be that you did not have to weld a 360 degree circumference where where tubes were joined, but that pretty much got eliminated boy, I want to say probably about 10 years ago, where now you have to weld 360 degrees around so that you have the full strength and integrity of a welding mm -hmm. joint at, at every point. But then like you have to have room to make that weld. So if you're going to try and like, th this is where like now a lot of the rules have, you have to have a box at the bottom that yeah, the cage the sits box. on. Because yeah. that's how you, you have to weld the car, weld the cage in the car. That's how you can weld 360. And then you raise the cage up like two inches and you put it on a, on a yeah, box at yeah. the bottom. Right. So the plot thickens though. Yeah. Now consider <laughs> this part. People now, so naturally this brings up the question, does the cage rely on the unibody structure of the vehicle for some of the rollover protection? And there's multiple parts to that question for it to make sense. Right. So Say like, that again. for example, does the cage does rely on the unibody of the car in order to meet the rollover safety requirements that it's aiming for. So we have thinner and smaller tubing cage requirements than the open wheel tube chassis cars that run at CHCA. Because you have a unibody. Because we have a unibody. Right. So, okay, mm -hmm. let's go back to our technical director friends and see where they bring this into, into play. The answer from the ARA is, uh, I don't know, we don't really spec a certain safety requirement. We just reference the FIA, and I'm sure that they bring the unibody into account when designing a roll cage. You'd have to, because if they're doing any kind yeah. of crash testing, they, if you're crashing a car that has the full unibody, then the, the safety and the integrity of the cage is getting a benefit for the unibody being there. If you take the unibody away and you just crashed right. the cage, probably wouldn't do yeah. as well. So and to on. add to that, like to add proof to that too, the Hill Climb Association for Pikes Peak specifies that in a two-frame chassis car, how thick the bottom of the car has to be, like mm -hmm. how thick that structure has to be depending on the material it's made out of, because it is, that, that supports the argument that, that, that the, at least the floor plan is an integral part of the safety right. structure. Right. 
and and what you have to what you the other thing you have to guard against with the rules especially if you're going to clarify that it's basically the outside profile of the unibody that has to be present so what if some yahoo takes a, a unibody and cuts it all away except for the two firewalls and the floor pan and then basically makes a tube tube chassis slash cage car and then just sticks a carbon fiber side on it so that it has the outside profile still gotta be describing. metallic for a and b post they're using um, metallic, car- oh, okay. metallic carbon so, fiber. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Ferrous so, fibers. <laughs> shit, open that can of worms too. The FIA literally specs, they don't say metallic. They say it must be an iron-based alloy, a ferrous property, blah, 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 blah. Okay. They specifically say no magnesium or titanium alloys allowed except the explicitly allowed. It's throughout their builds. They okay. say um, no magnesium or titanium alloys allowed except where explicitly, you know, stated and stuff right. like that. So you don't make magnesium B pillars and stuff like that. And yeah. Dude, this, this can of worms, this wormhole or rabbit hole, whatever goes, goes super deep. Right. So mm-hmm. bring this all back. We can make safe cars and even take, you know, so our, just to, to add one last piece of context to this, this shitty rabbit hole uh vermont sports car when they build their cars they cut them back to just a hair like a oh and you know uh a rabbit's fart of what's left of the unibody they tube the whole thing in and then they slap just enough unibody on the outside for it to be compliant but they even our our rules require a sill bar and then either an x or a diagonal or any one of you know a number of compliant fia drawings mm-hmm. they hide their sill bar in the sill it appears it's hard to get this, um, you know, locked down with official oh. word from Vermont sports car. They put the sill bar actually in the sill of the car. They cut the sill apart and they mm. put it in the box section of the sill. And so like all you see on the outside, it back in. Exactly. And they, I mean, they cut it. Wow. Off. Like they, the whole thing, what's left is a bit of C pillar, uh, sort of some inner fender in the back, the inside shell of the sill, a firewall in the floor. And they hmm. start from there when they tube their cars in and then build it back. Hmm. So it's nothing. Um, wow. And so, okay. So here's all yeah. these things. We can, we can make a rule set that takes, essentially you blend FIA rally cross, ARA open, you know, other FIA, FIA hill climb, you know, touring car style stuff, blend it all together. Do you still have a rally car? What, what is a rally car? And so I'm going to ask that open-ended to you guys. What is a rally car? Well, and see, to me, the consideration has to be one, if you come up with a very open rule set as far as weight and structure, are you going to give somebody that gets this new rule set, reads it, and then builds a car based on this new rule set a huge advantage over some guy that's got a car that he's been running for 10 years? And in doing so, are you also then introducing a lot more safety variables with this new rule set because you could do some kind of crazy out of, out of the box stuff versus like if you if you make it so that like okay the like more of the the factory chassis has to be present or something like that 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 you're not you're not giving somebody that's building a brand new car with the brand new rule set a huge advantage over somebody that's got a car that's been racing for 10 years so well to give that context this came up a couple of years ago, our rules, which had been the same for, I don't know, a decade, were just mm-hmm. stage rally cars, minus spares, no minimum weight, no restrictors. Mm-hmm. 
but that is super vague, right? What is a stage rally car? We'll build it to some rule set. I don't know what old SCCA pro rally rules were pretty vague at times. You know, when ARA comes around, they adopt this new open cash rule set, which is pretty much like what, uh, I mean, it's like open. What, it allows like what those Vermont sports car cars are building, mm-hmm. right? It, it right. allows all sorts of allowances. So like say Cam Block wants to buy an old WRC car and come over. Well, that's just legit too. Sure. Yeah, sure. Run that. Um, mm-hmm. It is pretty vague. So then we took a, and we, we made our rule set a little bit more defined in itself, a little bit less outside referencing um, where it's, you know, A and B pillars must be factor, or it must be a uh, metallic C pillar must, you know, is, exist mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. And that guy builds a tube chassis car and shows up. Right. And what, then, what, what shape was the tube chassis? What, what car shape? GC. Okay. Oh, and so this is Brad Ames. He's a good guy. Love you, Brad. Okay. He's going to essentially probably, the, the rules actually go out for vote today. He'll probably oh. get written out of this rule set. He'll switch to unlimited and just have a good time. Um, I feel bad sure. about it. I think that he built his car exactly to the rules as they were written. And they were written pretty close to ARA open class rules, minus restrictors and minimum weights. But I, I mean, I think hopefully maybe we even inspire ARA to look at their rules and be like, well, this is, this is pretty vague. Because his car got challenged, essentially, unofficially. Mm-hmm. Um, it was never any official protest because um, we're all breaking rules all sorts of the mm. time. Um, <laughs> but oh, You're not supposed to say that out loud. You got to write the rules and then you just break them. Like yeah, that. exactly. So we're trying to write better and better rules so we don't right. just all have to break them all the time to have a good time. But um, anyways, the car got challenged. That's not a rally car. Could it race an ARA? And we're reading the ARA rule book like, well, of course it won't. And we read the rule book and we're like, well, shit, maybe it is. Why isn't someone building two chassis cars and running an ARA? We ask ARA, well, of course it's not compliant. And that's, but, that's what the response say why? is. Did they give you a specific like, reason? Well, why? What rule doesn't it comply with? Well, this rule. Have you read your rule? Mm, I think yeah. it complies, right? Uh, well, but no, I mean, we would never pass it. But based on, like, if I brought this car and you didn't pass it, I would have a problem with your organization because point to a rule yeah. that says, well, that's not what the intent is doesn't matter what the intent is put it in writing Man, when, when you have yeah. a, a, a rule and then you start talking about intent that means that the rule right. is not clear enough exactly that's and that's where an, interpretation comes in yeah exactly which is exactly what we're doing and trying to take some of these intense interpretations common interpretations and put them in writing so we don't have <sighs> this problem that's hard but, mm-hmm. again what's a rally car i mean see to, so to me, like based on current rally rule set, I mean, that seems, I mean, if, if it's defined as a rally car then using the rally rule set for safety and stuff, I mean, that's a good starting point. Part of the trick there is like they have power rules and, and engine modification rules that you don't want and you aren't applying because it's a hill climb versus a rally. So then that that's like you're, you're throwing a big wedge into using a rally, rally rule set initially. And then even if you take power restriction as a point, which power restriction do you use? Are GRC cars not rally cars? Are rally cross cars right. not rally cars? Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, by definition, sure. Right. They're rally cross cars, not rally cars. But well, you still look at it and be like, oh, that's a pretty cool rally car. It just doesn't have a co-driver and it goes faster and it runs on closed yeah. course. Well, right? But it so. but is a production-based vehicle. It's not a, a custom-built tube chassis, sure, something okay. that somebody came up with in their garage. So, I mean, it, it would be, so, I would say it'd be as valid as using the ARA rally rule set as using like the GRC rally cross rule set. If that's, so if that's what you're going to pin your, your class to. So our current top crop WRC car is not rally cars? 
arguably they are the definition of relic art, yeah. right? I, well, I would it's say kind of like alter- no. Is that like alternative music where the definition of alternative music by inherently is constantly evolving because of what the, the role is in nature? Like, well, alternative music is like the new music that's alternative to like the whatever music of its time. Like, but the, rally but that, car is can can continue to evolve because because the sport's evolving, right? Well, and, and that rule set is based around getting them to have a hybrid drive drivetrain and, and which mm-hmm. they know is not based on anything that's in production. It's all motorsports. It, it, it is all custom built for, for meeting this, this requirement that the FA wants that top tier class to have. I mean, I would say you'd be better off looking at the R5 rule set versus R1 or okay. R2 versus R1 or something like that. So then they have to be European two-door micro hatchbacks to be real. Hell cars. yeah! I'm just <laughs> well, no, just resemble, I guess, right? But resemble one. Hmm. I don't know. So this is my point, though, is it, it turns yeah. into this really nebulous kind of conversation yeah. of well, what feels like so? Okay, Monster Tajima's various, you know, Suzuki's or whatever he's in yeah. at the moment, running at Pike's Peak. Is that a rally car? No. Those are probably closer to a production car than a lot of current crop rally cars are in WRC. No, not, not with the two engines. Okay, no, the, not that the one. single sure. engine one. The okay, single engine one so was the also Gran Turismo, Gran Turismo famous Escudo Pike's Peak edition, yeah. whatever, right? I had yeah. Unibody in it, I'm pretty sure. Um, probably, probably more than, or as, probably as much as the current WRC cars have. So, is that a rally car? It's not what, what I think. Okay. I, I mean, I think if I was in your shoes for the rally car class, I would say that the factory unibody has to be entirely present and it has to entirely be entirely present, entirely present, because if, if you're going to take all that weight out and the structure is then going to shift to the cage and the cage is going to be allowed to gusset or, and, and or required to gusset all of the pillars so that you're getting all of this rigidity that that a lot of the older cars wouldn't in a lot of cars that were built much more based on just the factory unibody chassis that those, those you'd have to move to unlimited sorry tasso and that that the, the rally well, car class would be just a full factory unibody present with a cage so a group n class then group it's n, not a rally car like class yeah so slow old rally cars but none of the current or fun rally cars absolutely none of the current crop of ara cars out there well see that you don't think play. like the limited four-wheel drive and stuff, you don't think that those, you think that they're way beyond that? Not way beyond, but I would argue probably most limited four-wheel drive cars are, well, actually I know that none of them are group N compliant because they're running non-homologated parts, right? Um, so, okay, but to yeah, your but, point, factory unibody, so it's a limited rally car class because that's boring. That's dumb. I would not. Well, well, well limited rally talking... car class, but with power without power restrictions. Yeah, it's like stuff, from right? a from a chassis from a chassis standpoint. So, like if you, so then what it what it comes down to with the rule set is your I think is your well, the safety is a factor. Safety has to be a consideration, but also you want to try and make it so that the cars, a broad range of cars will will still have the chance to be competitive in this class. And so, like if you're if you're allowing for all of this like significant amount of weight savings to be done and significant amount of modification to the factory unibody to be done, but still be in the same class for a lot of guys that have rally cars that can't do any of that modification. If they're going to use the cars for anything else would not be competitive. So I'm building this car to be ARA open class compliant. Open class. 
Yeah. Yeah. What about what about doing like different bar thickness requirements depending on chassis prep, where it would behoove you yeah. to not build a car to the cr- like if you if you did it like Tasso style where you're peeling everything open like a tuna can, like okay, this is the requirement of safety that you have to have. If you're running full factory, unmolested, non-tossoed um, chassis, then you're able to run like the bar thickness thinner. I mean, but see the kicker there, wouldn't. you'd you'd have to have something like an FIA rule set that has done crash testing or something to know what that bar thickness yeah. difference would be. Because if if your organization truthfully makes that change, your, your insurance for your organization has to be able to support it. You don't necessarily have right. to have crash safety. So, and I, I'm saying that because of the issue that I'm going, I would say issue, but because of the safety side of um, this gold rush thing, basically I present this safety thing and they're like, okay, why do you want to do it like that? And I was like, I want to do it like this because this, this, and this, and this, and this. Will our insurance cover it? Right. Mm. And th- so that's, that's really up to the organization's insurance well, provider to cover and that. And this is, this is a, like, you know, some of those conversations I've had with Preston, a lot of the, the issues that they've had keeping their insurance coverage for the ARA rallies is something happens. Like there yeah. was this car that caught on fire and it was 30 minutes before somebody could get on site because they went way off. The car caught on fire. They weren't able to get out of the car and notify. I mean, they, I, they were not significantly injured in this point, but they, they couldn't get out of the car and get back to the road to notify the other cars that they were coming by that they were on fire. It was literally like 15 minutes later, like, wait a minute, we're missing a car. How do we miss a car at the finish? Mm-hmm. We got to shut the stage down and start going back and looking for them. And at that point, the smoke was coming up and so they could find them. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was like all this response time issue. And so then the insurance was like, well, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here. Don't don't hold ARA sure. to any of this. This, this is, is not legal. It's not legal, and, and I, I mean, this is off, off my head, but basically it was like the time, response time to get to this car that had this issue, it, it exposed this vulnerability in how they were in, 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 in like this, this black swan scenario that exposed a vulnerability, and then they're like, well, you got to yeah. fix this, otherwise we're either going to have to charge a lot more or we can't ensure the event. Right. And so the more X factors you leave, like hopefully nothing ever happens, but if something ever should, like say you go to a thinner wall thickness and or or whatever, and then people can take the unibody away. Then somebody has some weird accident where there's a big issue, and then the insurance is like, "We're not going to do this anymore unless you fix this." Then you have to come come in again and make significant rule changes. Right. So in the yeah, absence I mean, of the ability to crash test, you got to reference the folks that do have that ability, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Which is that what would be done, that would be on the I'm insurance doing. expectation, yeah. right? Like the insurance expectation so. would. That's where you would get that information, though. That's where you get that feedback. The feedback from the insurance provider would be, this is the rate, or we're not going to insure you. And in order to do this, you have to prove um, beyond a reasonable doubt that this is uh, acceptable with information. So the cheapest way would be to reference stuff that already exists. The most expensive way would be to do your own testing. That's what, yeah. like, car manufacturers have to do, yeah. right? And so, but So I mean, referencing other folks leads to these allowed modifications, including stripping B pillars and A pillars and stuff like that. It also leaves you open to what their insurance um, coverage was willing to ex- be deemed as acceptable risk. Does that yeah. make sense? If you have so different insurance providers, yeah. You could, it's kind of like 
I don't know. I'm sure people have done this all the time. You buy like your Honda Civic, you fucking slam it, you put super expensive wheels and a body kit, and then you get T-boned by a minivan. And you're like, right. well, I did like $10,000 of modifications. I was like, well, you didn't disclose that to us. Here's mm-hmm. your check for $2,000. Right. Insurance and like the motorsports world is kind of like that same thing. And the more you leave out because you want a better rate or you want to be able to put on an event, the more that leaves you open. And there's like an internal acceptable risk. And that happens in everything. SCCA, NASA, yeah, the hill climb, PPIR. Like they told us we can't run golf cart. We, we can't have um, go-karts because go-karts are too dangerous. But what happens when there's a go-kart event at our venue? Then where does the coverage, where does the coverage, there's coverage, there's coverage issues there. And so mm-hmm. there's, there's always going to be, so if you use, and, I, and I'll use this as a good example, the bar thickness the, and roll cage construction is different from SCCA to NASA. It could be the SCCA said, well, we're willing to allow this, but NASA is like, well, we can't, their insurance providers like, we can't allow that. Yeah. We have to allow this. Sure. And so if you use SCCA's rules and SCCA stuff and you're like, well, because they have all the crash testing to support it, you're also accepting SCCA's risk. Does that make sense? But you have to disclose like, it's, it's a weird thing. Like it's something I've never, ever thought about till just right now. Yeah. Yep. So you follow the, well, it's not my idea. I just do what these mm-hmm. guys do train. It goes all the way back to the FIA, which yeah. doesn't require an entirely intact unibody in order mm-hmm. to run these cages. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and throw away wow. your unibody is what makes a rally car idea because yeah. only really one international rally class requires it in group in, which mm. is not a very popular class not anymore. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's it's cool. I like Group N, but hmm. I agree that's what makes a production rally car, maybe right, or a limited yeah. rally car as a reference. I think Group N's a little wild because it's just literally a homologation party, and good luck trying to ever make one from scratch if you're not, you yeah. know, a manufacturer, Subaru, you know, yeah, right, or well, pro driver or whatever, right? But it is the inspiration for this, literally, just this tube chassis car that Brad Ames built because it seems it seems like it's out of the spirit of the rules. It sparked conversation. I've been really careful with myself, at least, in communicating mm-hmm. this to other folks in these conversations that no part of this is a work to uh, ban a car that we don't like. Meh. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's not what's going on here. It's just, uh, well, how do we ground our class in reality? Mm-hmm. Right? What's a rally car? What's a rally class hill climb car even? Right? Mm-hmm. Um and ultimately what we decided was we're going to reference the cool parts of every rally thing that shows up in FIA or ARA and uh, just put them together into one yeah, fun class and sure. then take restrictors out because fuck restrictors. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, and minimum weights. We thought about doing minimum weights, but man, that's a pain. I hate weighing. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, well, yeah, it's a, uh, you know, even how do you, the groupie. How do you guys verify? So. How do you guys verify that the safety, that's in place in the car is actually suitable. So either the car has to have a logbook from an outside rally organization um, or outside organization of some sort certifying that it is what it says it is, uh, or it needs a statement from the cage builder. So, so the cage, the cage builder bu- would then ex- would take on the liability. Yeah. So say you had, I mean, we're not you, Scotty's or a great drilling. example though. Right. Cause, cause right. well, but Scotty's car, 
was built for a weight that his car currently isn't at. So if you didn't weigh the car, it would be it would be easy to say, oh yeah, I mean this car weighs twenty nine hundred pounds. I'm like okay, well we can't weigh you to verify, so sick. Right. Well, like, so we, we don't have Getting any scales weight based that safety hard. rules. Yeah. Um, well, they're hard if you have to pay for them. <laughs> oh, well, uh, yeah. So, but but yeah. So right. So it, we don't have any uh, like outside variable dependent safety rules. All the safety rules apply to all the cars. Um, so it's not like oh, you weigh this much, you created us to weigh this. Doesn't matter if you weigh one pound or seventy thousand pounds. You're you know it's largely inch and three quarter, inch and a half. You know. 083 if you're dough coal or 095 if you're cold drawn or all this kind of stuff right so that's or, big windows my, my cars mm-hmm. my cars inch and three quarter 120 wall because that's the over 3,000 pound weight for yeah. nasa and seca so we don't have any of that car the they're all car. yeah they're all uh i mean because they're all derived from rally class rules there's minimum weights in rally and they're all higher than what most of our cars are right so mm. um it'd be wild if someone showed up with just a bunch of ballast to make their car 6,000 pounds. And if that happened, yeah, I guess maybe we would have to think about putting weight limits on our cage specs. Um, but that's just not, you know, the nature of the What if they the came problem. out with a, a Model S, uh, a Model 3, or a GTR? Those are well, like three motorsports cars that just pop right off the top that, of the That's actually what I just thought of, is an electric car. Like somebody so comes out with an electric car. it specifically says that any hybrid or electric cars will be approved on a case by case basis. Okay. And at the moment we wouldn't because we don't have the, the means to hire. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they, a GTR though. What like a I Nissan mean, or whatever? Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, Cause they're, they're about 3,800, 3,900. I can't, I can't keep up with Porsche GT things. Right. Oh, so no, this there, is a Nissan. GTR. There is a GT3 that races, and yeah, that brought up people are like in the two-wheel drive class were like, "That's not a fucking rally car, like we can't allow that thing in our class." Like, how is it not? I would argue there's more Porsche rally cars in the world than there are any other car, maybe other than Volvos, right? So, um, yeah, how is it? Mm-hmm. Is it? You know, there's a class form in the FIA. There is a right. GT3 Porsche spec rally class. So wow. Fuck well, that and, and so. that's that car comes with the factory installed cage, and so you got to figure that Porsche is doing all the crash testing and in R and D to ensure that the cage is safe. Yeah, so yeah, it, they're it a meets, way larger it meets, target. Meets yeah. a homologation, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but right, so yeah, what what about the GTR makes you worried? Just just from a weight well, standpoint. It, yeah, uh, it probably would get booted it, for engine displacement, anyways. So, what is that? Yeah. It's two point six. What kind of restrict? If you're, what kind of no restrictor class are you guys have over here? I know. It actually comes up. It comes up. I mean, just talking to uh, Troy yesterday about Audis and like what Audi Motors would comply with the class. It's derivative of a rally class, so we do still have engine displacement limits based on naturally aspirated or forced induction. Um, hmm. So it's two point six if you're uh, forced induction in an all-wheel drive car. Hmm. So. So that GTR will probably get booted because what are they four point something? Three point eight, three three eight, yeah, three six or three. I think it's three eight, yeah. Yeah, so doesn't matter. Next example, what you got? (laughs) Well, well, let's. We should wind down on this because uh, that's a lot of rules talk. Because we might have we might have lost all but like two people. 
basically ever since I've had a concussion, I've been doing this for like cognitive therapy kind of stuff and just m forcing myself to wrap my mind around these concepts. That is and a, so, that is a mental stress test for sure. Yeah. So got me feel like my, I'm having heart palpitations right now. I need right. an energy drink to calm and down. to make it on top of that, <laughs> man, these end up being really like emotionally charged conversations when you have oh, these yeah. conversations with the drivers in the class. Right. Oh, so for sure. Cause especially so, like yeah. when you've got somebody that's been running for a long time with a car and you tell them that now they can't run anymore or they have to run in a different class. I mean, that can cause some serious. Fortunately, it's just one guy who's run a car for one year okay. who knew that he was pushing a limit and knew that he was going to inspire these conversations. So right. fortunately, yeah, like, no one's really getting the boot. And even then, he could work to make his car compliant. But the way the rules are written, it's still pretty loose, right? You just got to yeah. get some stuff in there and kind of make it right again. And he could get back in the class. So, hmm. I don't know. So yeah, there's a comment below or some shit, right? Like... <laughs> Right. what's a rally what's a rally what's car a rally car what does rally yeah. car mean to you um yeah. yeah hit me up hit me up otc racing on uh on instagram tell yeah. me what you think I'm and, and the other part of it is opinion, this is why but... before you build a race car you got to read the rule set because yeah. man you, you start just making changes and all of a sudden you're going to end up it's somewhere right. you probably don't want to be mm -hmm. yeah. yep so i guess yeah that's uh that's a lot of what I've been doing other than drilling spot welds, which I got to go. I got a half hour. I'm going to go make a smoothie and then drill some spot welds, drill some spot, a welds. little brain smoothie. So yeah, you know, it, bud. man, so, all right. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what I've been up to, to, to answer your original question. What have I been up to? Just wow. talking, talking shit, growing mustaches, drilling spot welds and, and thinking about rules. Books. All right. Yeah. So. I, I think, I think, uh, Next time I ask you what you've been up to, I'm gonna I'm gonna preface it a little bit more. Hey Tossin, yeah. what you've been up to since we talked last in 30 words or less? If that doesn't involve a rule set. <laughs> if it's a tweet, you gotta do 128 characters and no rule sets. I, sometimes I'll, you know, sometimes I will certainly ask you what do you think about rule sets, but I think I gotta I gotta have I gotta be in the right mindset for that. You I gotta, gotta get an egg timer. Yep. Okay, yeah. go. Uh -huh. No, it's it's it, it's interesting stuff for sure but man like i mean i don't know how long we've even been talking about rules but it, you just like there's so many facets to it you can just like hours are gone immediately yeah. like well what about this and what about can you do this and what's good what's bad it's ugh. yep you yeah, know don't get you me know started what, on like should versus shall in a rule set and what those mean you know to you. you know what we got really lucky with and by we i mean pike speaking national raceway hmm the hill climb said, yeah, use all of our safety rules or be no problems. For, so, for what now? For the gold rush event. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we didn't have to jump through any red tape, worry about getting sued, or have to crash our own cars to figure it out. Nice. So I was like, dang. Well, they've, they made some, they've been making some pretty big changes to their rule sets in the last, like, seven, eight years, too. So, I mean, they, you want to I, talk about sketchy, look at Pikes Peak cars from, like, touring cars from eight years ago. Right. Look like, at the compare the rules right now between NASA and the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. You want to see sketchy. I can't hmm. believe people live when they fall off the mountain up, honestly. It's I say I can I believe that they can live. I can't believe that NASA says it has to be even more intense than that. That's what I really mean. Well, because now Pikes pretty Peak wild. is just basically they've defaulted to FIA rules because they wanted to make it easier for other vehicles that are running in other series to just plug in. Because before that you had to add 
certain certain reinforcement points to like the the halo yeah. and, and all the sort of in the doors. Um, I would say it's even the the roll cage construction itself is below FIA rules. I hmm. mean, it's basically NASA. It's basically a NASA rule construction essentially, with uh, um, probably FIA bar thicknesses. Like the FIA, bar, hmm. well, I don't know about FIA, but the bar thicknesses with the hill climb, they're just more categories. Does that make sense? Yeah. Whereas like NASA is like this is a huge chunk, this is a huge chunk, this is a huge chunk. Good luck. Man, they're they're a little bit more like there's more yeah. there's more weights. So, yeah, FIL spec certain mm-hmm. hoops, yeah, and certain designs and certain thicknesses, and you need to put the yeah. right stuff together in a cage. Yeah, right? well, so we we run the risk of going on for another I don't know six days, yeah. but but that that was that was one of the interesting parts with the Pikes Peak hill climb when we, like when we built the Pikes Peak car because an FI cage was not sufficient and had to have like all these gussets and the halo and, and stuff. But the, the, so they're they're trying to get international cars to come in. So if you have rules that are different than like what's over in Europe or what's over in Japan, well now those people have to modify their cages to now meet your rule set. But if you modify a cage at all, the car has to be reinspected and relogbooked. Like if you if you weld one thing to the cage, period, yeah. you have to basically recertify the whole thing. And and then like okay, you made this change now you can run at Pikes Peak, but now can you then take the car and go back and run in your original series? Like now that's up kind of you're, you're punting that back to the original series. Like, are you going to allow this modification of the cage or not? It gets, and so that's where I think they've tried to, they've tried to standardize the rules a lot more to, to make it easier for these cars to come in, you know, that are, they're mm-hmm. running another series, you know, like, like the Ackers and stuff. Um, was one of the funniest things about Pikes Peak rules is to me, when you take these indie cars and stuff like that, that have been adapted for Pikes Peak and then they have to add, the Pikes Peak open wheel like hoop and stuff, helmet yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. So you have these these beautiful sculpted indie cars that can go yeah. 220 miles an hour around Indianapolis and stuff like that. And then Pikes Peak's like, no, put some shit over your head. Yeah. And so then it's just a tube that just hangs out up yeah. there. Like, what's up? <laughs> I'm the yeah. I'm the Pikes Peak tube. <laughs> yeah. Word, dog. Word. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah, okay. I mean, you're way less likely to smash your face into a rock when you go off a cliff at Indianapolis versus uh, yeah. Not a lot hey, of cliffs there. Not a lot of cliffs. So <laughs> you know, that, that, in anywhere in Indianapolis. That, that sounds matter. like a challenge, is what that sounds like. Ugh, those guys crash hard. I don't. I don't get how yeah, those no. guys walk away from some of that stuff. But right on. Anyways. Right, well, probably as good a place to end is is in E, and and we probably should. We should take a break. We should step away from rules again and get back to the real world and enjoy life again before we come back here and talk rules again. Rules are love. Rules are life. All praise rules. Okay. Weird from a guy who, who wants <laughs> to have no rules, but okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rules are complicated. Like rules I've are said not before, a simple thing. There's nothing I'll say that I'm not willing to go back on in a podcast. Okay. So. Outback <laughs> Steakhouse wrote including my rules, that, so. Including that statement. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. All right. Fair we enough. got the meats. Yes. Well, That's thanks very much to everybody for listening. Thanks to Dusik and Tasa for for making the time of Chad. Well, with all the holidays, we're, we're going to try and catch up again in the next handful of weeks, but I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but we'll, we'll come back. We, we will continue. We, we've hit 100 episodes now. So, I mean, I guess this means we can't stop anytime soon. So, Word. until next time, stay tuned to Flutter's Tuning. What, 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 was, what was this? Is, that, is that some kind of Rocky Game Mountain? Song. 
foot foothills. Colorado hills like, climb. Col- this right. is the hills Colorado, have eyes. Colorado, Colorado hills pine, have pine eyes. cones. I'm just hanging loose, bro. That's hanging loose. Okay. Yeah. All right. Leave this in. Leave this in for sure. <laughs> now you know. That that's apparently the sign for hang loose. I did not know that. I thought it was something more like this. But even I don't even. That's know. like a pine cone hanging loose, just like about to blow off the tree. It, was it? Was that two goats having a conversation <laughs> about rules? That was that was the two goats yeah, talking about that thin line right there. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but is that a greatest nothing. of all time joke? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm 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 actually concerned now. I don't. I I'm really worried, but. <laughs> But I Are think we it's okay. cold opens. Are we doing cold closes too? Is that what this is? Maybe. And snap. Loop and <laughs> warm. And cut. Thanks everyone for tuning in to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. Once again, we'd like to let you know that your support is what makes this show possible. Be sure to check out our online store at flatironstuning.com for any of your aftermarket or OEM Subaru parts needs. And as always, stay tuned with Flatiron's Tuning.